0: Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast, where, at our core, we are about leading people into an authentic, growing, and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, we start a brand new teaching series called The King's Speech. For the next 12 weeks, we will be studying the Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5 through 7. Join us as we start week one of The King's Speech.
1: How you doing, Motion City Church? Good to see you, and once again, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, man. We are so grateful for you. You play such an irreplaceable role in the lives of your family and your kids, and the only thing that I can think of is let's not screw this up. Let's not screw this up. I was talking to uh, another pastor friend of mine recently uh, who has two kids who are both teenagers, both daughters. I've got two little girls, and we were talking about just the balance between ministry and family, uh, specifically when it comes to raising kids, and, and honestly, I would say as a dad, I kind of have a pretty easy uh, go of it, a relatively easy time when it comes to the kids' calendars and schedules, but uh, my friend, he's dealing with sports, and he's dealing with friends and school plays and sleepovers and all that, which I know at some point I'm going to come into, and I asked him, I just asked him just real honestly, and how do you do it? How do you balance ministry and family and all the things that come on come in between? And he just smiled at me and he said, Steve, let's just face it. Someday the lives that we live are going to be the stories our kids tell their therapists. So (laughs) thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Anyways, you know, I am honestly I am so glad that you are with us today. Today we are starting a 12-week series. It's gonna take us through the whole summer, and we're going to be looking at three very significant chapters of the New Testament that oftentimes we typically simply refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, this is the sermon that this was Jesus' only formal mass sit-down teaching. As we look throughout the, the scriptures, as we look throughout the life of Jesus, we see him uh, traveling and interacting with people. The scripture says he taught in the synagogues, but this is the first moment we find Jesus amongst a mass crowd of people, just simply taking the opportunity that was presented to him and beginning to share from his heart. And and there's moments in life, I think, that as people we hear something, we experience something, and it really has the potential. And for many of us, it has changed the trajectory of our life, changed the trajectory of our existence here on earth. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is so amazing, such an amazing three chapters of scripture, and it's not so much about the fact that Jesus said these words. Jesus said a lot of words, but what is most important is what he said, and what he's introducing and that was and remains to be so life-changing and culture, culture-altering culture if we allow it to be in our lives. And so this morning, what I want to do is, as you watch that video of this this ridiculous montage of impressive movie speeches, I want you to just take a moment this morning, and I want to ask you a question. Uh, what is the greatest speech that you've ever heard in your entire life? What is the greatest speech you've ever heard in your entire life? When I think about some of the speeches that I've been able to hear in my lifetime. I've heard a lot of them, but there are very few that have moved and motivated me, that have critiqued as well as compelled me, That left me awestruck, but at the same time on assignment. Because honestly, isn't that what a good speech does? It moves something inside of you. It creates or brings to life something that you and I have inside of us that we never knew was inside of us before. I remember the first time on uh, on YouTube, I remember the first time listening to Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And I remember being so incredibly moved by his passion to see racial prejudice eradicated from our nation, a passion that he ultimately died for. But I remember hearing this pastor and civil rights advocate get up and watching the video of him folding his notes and tucking them under his Bible and then just speaking as the Holy Spirit led to an estimated 225,000 people. I remember that I remember watching the movie Black Hawk Down. I remember seeing it at the Harmar movie theater and I remember the final scene where there's a conversation between Josh Hartnett's character and Eric Bana's character and they begin to discuss the reasons why a soldier fights. And I remember being moved to tears to the point of weeping at the Harmar Mall movie theater hearing The the conviction, as Eric Banner's character, who shares the reason that soldiers fight is not some desire for fame or glory or the fact that they're adrenaline junkies or war junkies, but the reason that soldiers fight is because of the man standing next to you and fighting next to him. I remember just sobbing. I remember the day that I was ordained as a minister in the Assemblies of God. I remember sitting and listening to Pastor Clarence St. John, our former district superintendent, speaking about what God has called us to when it comes to a life ministry. I remember him commissioning us to chase after the calling that God has on our lives and remain committed to Jesus above anything and everything else. I also remember that same opportunity when Pastor Ed Tedeschi, who is uh, our assistant superintendent for the state of Minnesota, he was uh, the senior pastor in a church that I was on staff at for about a year and a half, and I remember him standing, him and his wife standing in front of me and Jen, and there was this cool moment where, um, kind of as a sim- symbolism of passing the mantle onto the next generation of pastors. I remember that Pastor Ed was wearing the shawl that had my name and the date of my ordination, and I remember him leaning into me and saying, I was wearing this all day. And I was praying for you. And my prayer for you is that a double portion of whatever ministry I've had would be passed on to you. And I remember hanging top the entire ceremony until he placed that on top of me and I just began to sob. I remember breaking down at the weight and also the significance of that moment because again... These are the makings of great speeches. It changes something inside of you for the better. It moves us to something more than average or where we are in this moment. And this is what happens when Jesus begins to speak. When Jesus starts speaking, something happens in the atmosphere surrounding him that has never been replicated or I believe will ever be replicated in history. When this is what happens, something significant happens when the king begins to give his speech, everything changes. But before we get into Jesus' sermon, what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, 12, 11 to 12 weeks, we have to understand where Jesus has just come from. And so the entire point of today's message is just a set of groundwork for what's about to happen, for what Jesus is about to say. So we have to understand where Jesus has just come from, and so in order to do that, we have to look at Matthew chapter 19. If you have a Bible or you have a a, a Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Now, I'm not going to read all of uh, Matthew chapters 13 and 14 unless you guys want me to. No? No? Justin's kind of like shaking his head, but he's like, But you're the one with the microphone. And so, but I'm not going to read uh, all all of chapters three and four. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to basically breeze through these. I'm going to give you a few highlights, and then I've got uh, just two verses to share at a point. Um, So, as we look back at chapter three, this is the breakdown uh, verses one through 12 John the Baptist prepares the way. John the Baptist prepares the way. John the Baptist is like the ministry evangelist. He's the Billy Graham of his day. He's built a huge following. People listen to his teaching. They're compelled by his teaching. And John the Baptist preaches that, there is the, that the coming of the kingdom of God is soon. And what I love about John is he's ultimately setting the stage for the coming of Jesus. And then ultimately he removes himself from the center of the stage and the center of a ministry that he's built. So, John the Baptist is preparing the way in verses 1 through 12. In verses 13 through 17, we see that Jesus is baptized by John. John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. And as Jesus comes out of the water, the scriptures say that the heavens split and the Spirit of God descends like a dove and spotlights Jesus. And then there's a voice from heaven that speaks and tells Jesus and those who are in attendance. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So chapter 3 is, is John setting the stage and Jesus coming on the scene and God officially saying, this is my son. Then we go into chapter 4, we look at verses 1-11 through 11 and we see Jesus uh, being tested in the wilderness. In verses 1 through 11, we see that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And it's so amazing, I've never noticed this as a part of this scripture before, but it says that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There is a whole other sermon or series in that one verse. But I think that one verse pretty much shatters our American comfort version of Christianity, when the Holy Spirit leads Jesus, the Son of God, into the desert to be tempted. And the scriptures say that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and I love this one little verse that says, and at the end of that time, he was hungry. You can never blame the Bible for being basic or to the point, point that after three days, I would be hungry and cranky. But Jesus goes for 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness, Jesus is then tempted by the devil three specific times, and each time he overcomes that temptation. And then coming out of that time in the wilderness, verses 12 through 17, Jesus begins to preach formally in the synagogues amongst the the, the, the Jewish people, and and his message is very simple, his message is this, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near Verses 18 through 22, Jesus calls his first disciples, and and I love this portion of scripture because Jesus begins to call his team into action. And what Jesus does is he picks his team a lot differently than the way that you and I would normally pick a successful team. Jesus ultimately picks a disgruntled, drunk church softball league. And we've we've all seen those games like, they're Christians? They, they follow Jesus, they, like, that, that, I'm pretty sure that's the pastor. He's swearing at the oh. Like It's one of those things. Like Jesus picks a very unique team. He doesn't pick the way that everyone expected. And rather than picking those who have religious backgrounds or theological training, what Jesus does is he picks blue-collar workers and common criminals that they would often refer to as tax collectors. This is the team that Jesus picks to help set, change the world. I mean, it's crazy. And so no matter where you've come from today, no matter what background you've walked out of, that gives us hope that Jesus Jesus picks his team very differently. And then I love that that when Jesus calls them, they actually leave what they're doing and they follow. Following Jesus is not a stationary lifestyle. But following Jesus is an action-packed, leading where he's going lifestyle. And if you, if you don't believe, following Jesus led me to Louisiana. And then it led me to St. Paul. And finally it led me home to Minneapolis. But following Jesus is an action lifestyle. It's following Jesus as he calls, when he calls, and where he calls.
0: And then in verses 25 through
1: 25 of chapter 4, it says that Jesus begins to heal the sick. Jesus begins teaching, and he begins healing. As the scripture says, every disease and sickness among the people, and you can only imagine that when sick people and diseased people start being healed, people probably begin to talk. People probably begin to share stories of what they've experienced or what they've watched, and here's the deal, man, the people of Jesus' time aren't much different than the people of this time, of of, of our time, because when something amazing happens, a crowd begins to a crowd begins to form. Man, you want to talk about a crowd format? Wait until a new iPhone comes out. And you will begin to see a whole other level of lunatic lined up at the malls, of America or wherever Apple stores are located. Man, when a new PlayStation or Xbox comes out, you will see an even crazier group of people camping out in front of GameStop or wherever people buy video games because I have not played video games since Superintendent. We have a Wii, but that's for the kids.
0: My wife and I like to spend lots of quality
1: time Trying to beat Super Mario World And it's, it is what it is If you want to see my wife get stressed out You should come over and watch And, and play with her Because I, I'm tired of getting yelled at um, So I need somebody to come over and play Mario with my wife um, <laughs> But word begins to spread Obviously and, and as word spread A crowd begins to follow Jesus Because man, they just want to see something amazing they want to see something miraculous. They want to see something spectacular. My wife's so I not talk about a movie. I, I love the movie The Incredibles. It's one of my favorite, it is my favorite Pixar movie. And I am so excited and yet enraged that it took them this long to come out with a sequel. Right? I just see this. if people are talking me down. They're preaching with me. And so... But I love there's this scene where there's this little boy who on this like three-wheeler who happens to see Mr. Incredible do all of these crazy things in all these moments, and so finally there's this moment and Mr. Incredible gets out of the car and nothing happens, and he turns and sees this kid, and he just goes, What? And the kid just goes, Well, I don't know. I just wanted to see something amazing. Like that, you know, when, when that happens, and people just want to see something amazing. First twenty-five. Of Chapter 4 says that large crowds from Galilee, and it says the Decapolis, which is a a ten-city booming metropolis area, people from Jerusalem and Judea and the region, across the Jordan, uh, scholars have said that this is an estimated 450 community group that begins to follow Jesus. And so there is a large crowd following Jesus. And so this is leading up to the point where Jesus actually sits down on this mountain and begins to share it in the time that we have remaining. I just want to look at two verses from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, and this is what it says. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Jesus is fully aware that there are people who are there in the crowd only for the cures and the spectacular, and who are not ready to be taught what Jesus was about to teach. Jesus was also aware that he was with his twelve disciples, and those people who have been so curious and, and wondering whether the the, the the Son of God would come, the Messiah would come, and they are ready and they are willing and they are, are prepared to hear what Jesus says. So Jesus is dealing with spectators and those who are committed to him and, and, and every walk of life in between. And what Jesus is doing is he is about to set up a standard of living for those who have come to know him for who he is. Not simply for what he does, but for who he is, as they await the coming of the kingdom of God that both John and Jesus spoke of. And as Jesus sees the crowd, he sees the need, and he takes full advantage of the opportunity that his celebrity in that moment allows him. In this moment, he's about to begin teaching, and as we're going to find out in the following weeks, he's going to begin to teach about a countercultural way of living life. He's going to teach about a kingdom-minded way of living. And as we conclude today, I want to end with just one point. And this point of encouragement is this. May we never overlook the opportunities that God gives us. May we never overlook the opportunities God gives you and God gives me. Too often, God, God presents me with so many opportunities to encourage someone or bless someone, and here's the deal. If you're anything like me, regrettably, I can overlook those opportunities. I can overlook the opportunities for a variety of different reasons, and I just want to share two of my most common, if that's okay. It really doesn't matter. I'm one with the microphone. Anyway, uh, sometimes it can be I overlook these opportunities because of fear. But I'm really confident with a microphone in my hand in front of people, but it's amazing how fearful I can get when it's one-on-one. It's amazing how afraid I become when it's me and simply someone else or a few people. I'm so afraid of saying something wrong because I haven't written out a conversation the way that I write a sermon. I haven't had a week or two weeks or a few months to prepare and study. This is just me in the moment, and I get fearful Oftentimes, it's because I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to come off as too eager or too over-spiritual. Sometimes I like to settle in at being a cool Christian rather than an obedient one. And I, and I deal with a variety of different fears anywhere in between, and, and I, I deal with fear when God gives me an opportunity. Sometimes uh, I overlook opportunities because they don't seem to be the kind of opportunities that I feel like I deserve from God. Sometimes the opportunities that God presents are not as grand as I've either expected or hoped for. Sometimes God's greatest opportunities involve people in groups, but what I've experienced is most of the time, if not every time, it involves simply just one person. You can't tweet about one person. You can't Facebook post about a person. Who's going to be impressed with that? People are impressed by crowds people are impressed by spectacles and scenes I'm a pastor and I'm a church planner and I, should, I, I, I have this weird notion of expecting more than I'm willing to sacrifice for or what I've sacrificed for yet I, I expect more and so I miss opportunities to care for the of other people simply because it's one person and and I'm just more comfortable, and I like the opportunity when it's larger crowds. And this, is, this isn't this is a great story that I'm about to share. Ugh.
0: This isn't a great one. And
1: not good. Uh, but when Jen and I were youth pastors at River Valley, we love River Valley. This is not a story about them. This is completely a story about me. So if you ever listen to this, I love you. Appreciate you. But when Jen and I were youth pastors at River Valley, I became very quickly infatuated with the fact that there were other people within our state that were very impressed by the church that I was on staff at. Because why wouldn't they be? It's a very impressive church. The reach of great. I became very infatuated with the fact that people wanted to be around me based on who I was associated with, and in the process of people being impressed not with me, but with who I was associated with, I began to develop this really ugly habit of looking beyond <clears throat> or past a person or a small group of people, because what I was trying to do is I was trying to scope out
0: who was more
1: important in the room. Because I had to get done with this conversation as quickly as I could because there was someone more important that it's probably better for me to be seen with than this person. And this began to develop in my life, and it didn't become, it moved on from being simply a habit to a lifestyle that I would look past people. And the Holy Spirit one afternoon Gut checked me to my core It was almost like the Holy Spirit Put on steel toed boots And just kicked me in the stomach As hard as he could And I remember so clearly The audible voice of the Holy Spirit Telling me to see Because I'm never going to trust you with people If I can't trust you with a person I'm never going to trust you Steve With people Unless I know that I can trust you with a person. And from that moment on, I have lived my life trying and failing at times to forget about the other people that are in the room or around me because I want to be completely and personally engaged with the person that God has brought across my path for this moment, for this time. What I want to do with my life is treat every person like they are the most important person in the world. And it's amazing that when I began to stop looking past and began to focus in on the person, it's amazing how easy the opportunities that God presents me were so much easier to see. When I began to, to to begin to listen intently to stories that people were telling me, and as the Holy Spirit said, that thing they just told you, you need to pray for them about that. That thing that they just told you, they need to be encouraged. This happened just at the, at the uh, we were watching uh, Happy Van Winkle, and we were hanging out at the little Minnehaha uh, Park uh, Splash Pad or, or waking pool, and there was a friend that I hadn't seen since sophomore year of college. He's working on this doctorate. He is ridiculously smart. And really, he's a good-looking dude. And so we're, so we're talking, and he's, he's about to embark into a new uh, avenue of life, and he's going to be leaving Minnesota that he's lived in since freshman year in North Central. And he's going to move to Indianapolis to become an adjunct professor, and working on his Ph.D. At a, at a theological, and I'm so excited for him. And he's talking about working on his master's degree, and he begins to kind of talk, and I begin to sense this moment where he's like, man, I've been doing all of this work, what will I ultimately have to show for him? And it was like the Holy Spirit gave me a a word for him because in my mind he's the most important. I ignored my wife <laughs> to talk to this guy, and I began to, to share with him kind of what God had been teaching me when it came to church planning. Where it's super annoying when you get people who uh, start church and it seems like you know the scriptures talk about the the, the um, different types of soil. Yeah. Harvest is plentiful, but the workers are feeding. Uh, so pray to the Lord of the harvest and workers. And it's one of those things, like I, I, I have been so blessed to be surrounded by people that Wherever they end up, it's almost like they just touch the soil with their finger, and it kind of just becomes this lavish garden of opportunity and people and all these different things. And then there's me, who feels like so oftentimes I'm sitting in South Minneapolis swinging a sledgehammer at a very condensed block of concrete over and over and over and over again. And what the Holy Spirit said, he says, tell that to that guy. I'm like, God, that is a horrible thing to tell somebody who is asking, what's it all worth? Basically, you're just swinging a hammer at a concrete block. And then the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me. He says, yeah, begin to tell them that with each swing, quit looking for surface cracks, but begin to get ready for the loosening that's happening on the inside. Because as God begins to prepare the inside, you're going to begin to see the opportunities happen. On the outside, I said, "Here's the deal, man. I don't know if that encourages you at all, but I feel like that's what God told me to share." And He just hugged me, and we haven't seen each other since college. It's a long time ago, and we're just two dudes hugging at a, a public pool with kids. It's just—it was a strange, and but it was just like, but it was amazing, and it's so amazing, guys, that when we focus on the person. The God-opportunities that he presents to us are so easy to see. And so as we close today, with it being Father's Day and everything, I want to just take a quick moment as we talk about never overlooking the God-opportunities, and I just want to take a quick moment to speak to all the dads Dads, there will never be a stronger voice in your child or children's life than you Dads, we are the representation to our sons of what it looks like to be a man. And we are either the heroes of our daughters' lives or we are the ones who they they search for our relationship in spite of. We can either be the heroes or the in spite of of our daughters' lives when it comes to the way that they look and perceive and engage with men. The words that we speak over our kids' lives have the power to bring life or death in their lives. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 tells us the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. As fathers, we are presented with God opportunities every day to speak life and purpose into our children's lives. God grants us opportunities and may we never miss out on any one of them. May we see our children as the most important people in our lives. May we encourage, may we inspire, may we speak life and purpose and good and God plans over their existence. May we show them the ways of the Lord in and through our lives, and may we understand the weight of the calling that God's placed us in, and may we never miss the opportunities to show And speak and represent Jesus to them I love being a dad But there is nothing in this world That scares me more But man What an amazing opportunity That God has presented us with them To be fathers And so as we conclude today I'm going to pray But dads we've got a gift for you As you walk out Uh, I posted it on Instagram But we are going to take care Of your sugar intake for the morning, and so we've got some delicious treats for you in the back. And so, if you're a dad, um, and grab a treat on us. We just want to say how much, once again, how much we love you and we appreciate you. We are in this battle together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your love for each and every one of us. Jesus, I am so grateful that you left the glory of heaven to come live a life on earth to show us the way to the Father. And Jesus, over the next 11 weeks, as we look at your sermon, as we look at your speech, may you reveal, God, the conduct and the manner and the way in which we are called to live our lives if we are followers of you. Father, may this culture be changed because we follow you. May this world be changed because we love you. May we never shy away from what you've done in our lives, that there would be no difference between us and anyone else. Because God, we have seen this week. This month, this year, the last 10 years, God, how broken and corrupt this world is. And so, Jesus, may you begin to prepare our hearts for what you're about to speak to us. And God, may we never take your words lightly. May we never take your words for granted. May we never just allow your words to go in one ear and out the other. But God, would you speak to us? Would you send us would you use us? And God, I pray that as we conduct ourselves, that we would be a people of boldness and not fear. So God, raise up something inside of us. Raise up a new spirit inside of us. God, as we wrestle with your word. Lord, we love you. You love us so well. And we are so grateful for it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We hope that you have a great week. We would love to invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 a.m. at Fullwell School in South Minneapolis. To find out more about Motion City Church, go to www.motioncitychurch.com or follow at Motion City MN on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter.